This podcast is for you if you want to learn about the wonderful and wacky world of the English language and the people who speak it. If you want to learn English, speak English, and understand different speakers of English, then you're in the right place and you're going to love our podcast episode today. Welcome to English World with Chris Americos. We are a team of language lovers, expert teachers, and native speakers who are on a mission to help people around the world speak English and show the world their true value. We correct mistakes, practice pronunciation, and explore grammar rules while drinking coffee and having fun. So get comfortable, relax, grab a pen and paper, and welcome to the show. Today's episode is brought to you by English Every Day, an unlimited speaking practice program where you can join live speaking practice lessons with professional native teachers five times every day. There are a lot of courses on the internet and a lot of useful videos too, but the one thing that is missing for most English learners is practice. And if you need speaking practice, then English Every Day is for you. So click the link in the description or go to chrisamericoast.com to learn more today. Okay, today we have Matt Tate with us, and Matt is in Poland at the moment. Is that right? That's right, yeah. And so you've been teaching English in Poland for some time, but that's not the only place where you've taught English. Actually, it's the only place where I've taught English. I've lived in other countries, though. Okay, so in other countries, you... Because I know that you're a very cosmopolitan guy. You've been around the world... (laughs) And lived in a lot of places. So um, so I really want to unpack that more today. Uh, but so, okay, so you've only taught in Poland. What were you doing in the other countries? Well, um, I'm from England. So I grew up in England. I lived there for most of my life. But uh, during COVID in 2020, I uh, took advantage of uh, a break in lockdowns to join my closest friend living in Portugal. So I I lived in Portugal uh, for just over a year and uh, the weather was amazing. Uh, Definitely a downgrade to move to Poland uh, for weather. Um, It's better than English weather? uh, In Poland? No, in Portugal. Oh, Portugal are way better, way better. (laughs) Honestly, it's the nicest weather I've ever experienced. It was for six months or something, I didn't see a cloud in the sky. It was between 18 and 25 degrees. It was just glorious. That's amazing. That's that's on my list because right now, um, Tanya, who's like the top person in our company, she moved to Lisbon. Okay. So I've been saying, I've been trying to find excuses to get there. (laughs) And uh, this is just one more. Weather. (laughs) Yeah, weather, tick. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I, I live quite near to Lisbon, not in Lisbon itself, but in a town near to Lisbon called Cascais, which is okay. more like a resort town. Lots of tourists go there for holidays, Germans and English people particularly. Very nice. Awesome. Yeah, and, then, in, uh, and then Poland is another, is just a completely different element, right? Yeah, whole different thing. <laughs> yeah, so I, I moved to Poland really because I had some friends here. My friendship group in, in Portugal uh, kind of uh, dispersed, let's say they moved to different places. And uh, it turned out that uh, Wrocław in Western Poland was a place where I had uh, at least more than one friend living in the same place. Uh, so I, I have lots of friends living in all random places. So, um, you know, it's nice to be in an area where you've got more than one friend. It gives you a bit more reason to be there. But I've been a fan of Poland for quite a long time. I first came here in 2016 just for a holiday and uh, found lots of reasons to visit again and uh, so I made lots of visits and made some friends and I guess that that teed me up for uh, moving here eventually uh, I don't know if I'm here forever but we'll see oh so it it feels like that could be the case though it could be yeah it could be I, I like it enough here where it's a possibility but I wouldn't commit 100% to uh, to where I'll be in the future I mean, I, I I would hesitate to say that I was very cosmopolitan. You know, I've lived in England most of my life, <clears throat> pretty much in the same place that all of my family live. So, you know, I've kind of been a hobbit for a good part of my life, just <laughs> living in the Shire. Um, but yeah, I lived in Portugal. Other than Portugal and Poland, those, those are the only places really uh, that I lived. Cool. So, but it's given you a good idea of kind of the different sides of Europe. Yeah, yeah. So I've I've been to in in Portugal. You can go to the most westerly point of mainland Europe, 
Mm-hmm. And so you can look out across the sea and you know that in terms of Europe, this is the closest you can stand to the USA, for example, which would be straight across the Atlantic. So that's quite cool. And uh, obviously Poland, you can, you can if you, if you call Poland Eastern Europe, the Poles will argue a bit with you, Central Europe, Central. <laughs> but, uh, that's funny. From, yeah, for, I think for, for, for people from America or the UK or Western Europe, we would consider Poland to be Eastern Europe. So we can argue the toss on that, but uh, it's definitely something Eastern about here. But there is also something which is distinctly Central European, uh, particularly in Western Poland, because it's originally a German city. So the architecture is in the German style and lots of the, the historical places here have German history rather than Polish history. Yeah. So in that region of Poland, do you find that German is more prevalent as a second language than English or even as a first language? Not as a first language at all, because after the Second World War, the Germans of of Breslau, as the city was called, were told to go back to the within the limits of the new Germany. Mm-hmm. And uh, actually, it's kind of interesting because a lot of the Poles that live here came from another city. So um, the city of Lviv, as the Poles call it, or Lviv in Ukraine. And uh, uh-huh. so lots and lots of the people who live in Wrocław trace their ancestry back to that part of what's now Ukraine, which used to be a Polish city. So all right. of the Poles were told to get out of, of, of Lviv because it was being given to the Ukrainians. And then they came here and the Germans were kicked out of here and sent back to modern day Germany. So it's crazy to think that that happened in our recent history, you know, that this mass migration, forced migration. And I I guess in some parts of the world, it still is happening now. Um, But Europe, for some reason, you know, growing up as a kid, I, I, I learned so much history and geography and it was just this static thing in my mind so i remember the first time that that broke was in the uh bosnian war uh, yeah yugoslavia became all of these other states and it's hard sometimes to imagine that it's not a static border and it's fluid and it's changing you know yeah Yes, it's completely bizarre to a a British person as well, because, you know, our borders have been mostly fixed for hundreds and hundreds of years. We're basically an island, you know, Britain at least is an island. So the the idea of borders changing like that is uh, something that we haven't really experienced. I guess uh, being from the UK, though, you can probably uh, comment on, you know, what does it feel like for your country to kind of have multiple names and categories so like there's different categories that you could fit into right like you can be uh british but you can also be english but you can also be a uk citizen and then someone from wales might qualify for some of those names but not all of them and then also be welsh and then so it's kind of confusing i think when people start learning english and they they usually learn you know about the uk first and uh, and then they're learning about Wales and Scotland and Ireland and Northern Ireland. And so how does that feel? And then, and then with Brexit, you know, you're officially European. And then now it's like, again, is it, or is it a European place or not? Or right? <laughs> so all these questions. So what, what does it feel like to be from the UK, which is always kind of changing names or there's so many names for it? Yeah, I, I guess it doesn't really feel confusing. Because I know I know who I am. I know what I am. Um, I'm English. That's kind of like my tribe. If you if you want to think of it, it's got like a a feeling of that's what I am. Uh-huh. I'm English, but I'm also part of Great Britain. So I'm British, and this is a kind of civic identity. So we have such a long history with the Welsh and the Scots that you know. Although we might argue like uh, we might fight like brothers we're still brothers at the end of the day and we've been through a lot together. So, um, you know, I'm English and British, although I think my passport says United Kingdom. (laughs) Or maybe it says the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland. So, you know, it gets it gets quite long, but it definitely causes some confusion for uh, for foreigners. But I, I think with social media, you know, these memes go round and I think people are starting to say, oh, yeah, okay, I get it now. 
So as you've been moving around to different places, what are some of the you know, challenges that you've faced? Because I think a lot of people who listen to this are learning English or, or they love learning languages. And it's a challenge uh, when you go to the place, even if you've studied the language before, uh, and some of them are going to places where they've never studied the language. So what kind of challenges did you face moving to different countries and living in different countries? Well, I think as as a native English speaker or someone who speaks English, even if you're not native, it's a huge advantage. So, of course, if you are an English speaker as your first language, then we've got a reputation for being a bit lazy uh, for learning other people's languages because often you, it's not necessary. And to be honest, living in Portugal, speaking Portuguese wasn't really necessary. Oh. Speaking English is good enough with most people. Um, Portugal is uh, has a long history with uh, Britain, and um, there's a big tourist industry there. So even some of the older people speak English quite well because they work in hotels, in restaurants, in places related to tourism. So I did learn a tiny, tiny amount of Portuguese. But to be honest, learning Portuguese for me was, uh, at least at the basic level, was a bit of a thankless task because <laughs> I would I, I would learn something. And I try to use it, but the the Portuguese language has a very particular, strange pronunciation. So I can't remember the details, but I remember learning. Maybe it was like on Duolingo, of course, on Duolingo they give you Brazilian Portuguese. So I maybe learned to say uh, like "excuse me," and it was "desculpe," something uh -huh. like. But the Portuguese, I would often hear them say <laughs> this very closed sound and for me i couldn't understand it and when i said what i'd learned they wouldn't understand and they would immediately know that you probably spoke english and then they would immediately start speaking english to you uh -huh. so yeah it was a bit of a thankless task i tried a little because i like to challenge myself a bit and i like to make an effort to show that i'm not a typical uh you know british person never bothered to learn anyone else's language <laughs> but i can't say i got very far with it but yeah as i said so many people speak english and in a city like lisbon lisbon is is very international it's, there's lots of brazilians in portugal generally and then in lisbon it's there's lots of germans and people from everywhere in the world and the common so language English. So, so when you were when you were describing the situation, I don't want to appear to be a, a typical British person. You mm. British, not English. And so again, I'm I'm just <laughs> I'm just interested in this question. Like, you know, would you say that that's a typical British thing or a typical English thing, or is there even any difference in this case? Are they interchangeable or? In this case, I would say it's kind of interchangeable. What I really mean is a typical English speaker from the United Kingdom. So when I say typical, I would I don't want to be a typical English person, but Scottish people, Welsh people, Irish people, I think we're all the same in that we speak English. We're a bit lazy to learn other people's languages. So it's a bit more typically British, although I think Americans can be uh, can be yeah. there as well. Australians, Canadians, all of us, really. Yeah, I think there's a uh, Americans feel like we have this stereotype, too. Yeah. A lot of times people will go to other countries and uh, it's not not even the language, but just the way that things work. They kind of want everything to be the same as in America. And I had a situation yeah. where uh, I was working with one teacher and his mom came to visit. We were living in Russia. His mom came to visit him and we went to some shop and there was a long line and people were cutting in front of her. And she said she made some statement like, this would never happen in America. And like <laughs> some people understand enough English to, to understand. So they like look at her like, what are you talking about? Um, but yeah, I guess I guess that's typical of everyone. Like I see Russians, others who come to this to the States and they kind of have the same attitude at first. It's like, well, why does this work this way? Why can't it just work the way that I'm used to it working? Um yeah. And even me, like when I came back to the States after living abroad for eight years, uh, I had to go through some of those adjustments too. So like, what are some of the, you know, hidden pitfalls that people might not think about 
when it comes to, you know, moving to these different countries and trying to establish yourself there. I mean, you've done it successfully. You lived there for a long period of time and you found friend groups and, and, and you're able to continue mm -hmm. the, the movement, the trip. Uh, so like, what are some of the pitfalls that people should watch out for? You're absolutely right that, um, you know, we, we're used to doing things the way that we're familiar with in our own country. So I can't say that the bureaucracy in England is great, super fun. You know, it's always a, a pain. But uh, moving to Portugal, I definitely found the bureaucracy to be far worse. You know, <laughs> if, you, if you want to open a bank account, you need to have this document. To get this document, you first need to go to this other office that's in Lisbon to get a tax number. To get the tax number, you need to apply online for something else. So you're constantly tracking back from what you want and trying to tick all these boxes to get uh, something which in England would be fairly easy to get. So I, I guess you just have to be patient and just accept that you're in a different country, when in Rome, do as the Romans do. You know, all the people here have to go through the same. So I guess just be patient and just have to be a bit tolerant for uh, the different ways that countries do things. Um, I'm interested in that phrase, uh, when in Rome, do as the Romans do, because I know that a lot of my Russian students use the same phrase. Like in Russian, they say this phrase, but usually about Moscow. When in Moscow, uh, do as the Mo Muscovites do. Mm -hmm. I was I'm wondering if in Poland, they say in, when in Krakow, <laughs> uh, because I, I think um, Ukrainians probably say Kiev and like, I wonder if this is a phrase that changes in different places, but it's interesting that we don't say when in London or when in New York or something. Yeah, yeah I, actually, I don't know the source of the of the phrase, but uh, I, I guess it kind of makes more sense to me to use a foreign example because, you know, London or Manchester, it's not going to be that much different. But in Rome, you might have to do things in a different way. Um, yeah. Or the phrase Rome wasn't built in a day yeah yeah so it, english is so connected to to latin and greek and so I, I feel like the european languages we have a big advantage learning them as english speakers because there are a lot of similarities and a lot of things where um you know even though it seems like we're really different people we have a lot of the same perspectives and a lot of the same beliefs uh, especially when you compare us to people on the other side of the globe. So I think the influence of different languages, of one language on another, especially today, English influencing other languages so much. Um, sometimes, you know, people see it as like the language of the invaders, the language of the, of the people who are uh, trying to control us. And sometimes people see it as just like the language of, opportunity, international communication, which of course is true too, but um, I'm sure you're familiar with like in France, they have some special laws about the language uh, to prevent the encroachment, further encroachment of the English language. Um, what about in Portugal and in Poland? Did you notice anything, like any attitudes towards English speaking or anything like this? Or, or most um, people are just friendly because you're a tourist. To be honest, I, I've been to, I've, I've traveled quite a lot. I've been to a lot of countries in Europe. I haven't traveled that much, for example, in Asia or Africa or South America. But in all the European countries I've been to, I've always found that everyone was helpful, friendly, and were, you know, polite to me. Um, in, in some places, I would say more friendly than others. For example, when I went to a, a small city in Eastern Poland, I've never met such friendliness in my whole life. And I think it's because I was strange there, you know, they, they don't have many uh, people from England going around in Lublin in Eastern Poland. So, you know, it was like, why are you here? It's amazing. And there was like, come to my house for dinner and uh, come to our house party and stuff just because they thought it was so interesting such a rare opportunity and a lot of people hadn't even met someone who was a native english speaker before and actually even here in in Wrocław, which is a bit more international i still meet people who say they've never met a native english speaker before 
so generally i would say people are really very uh, very open and uh, as an english speaker i'm i'm generally treated if anything more nicely than uh, they they would treat some of their own people so you know i often say to the polls polish people are really friendly and they say oh we're not they they really don't they don't think they're friendly so it might just be that they are particularly friendly to specific types of outsiders uh, i think that the poles generally are quite friendly to germans and uh, west european people and certainly as an, as someone from england i i've only ever been uh, treated very positively in portugal and and in poland you know of course in in portugal i think this is our oldest alliance so we've always been fighting with the portuguese you know we fought with the portuguese against the spanish we fought with them against napoleon and this is our friendship has gone for centuries and um yes yeah, there's there's no real animosity there for english speakers in portugal either that's great to hear you know i was just thinking about something else you know when a person moves to another country one of the tendencies is to immediately reach out to your diaspora mm -hmm. the other people from your country and how beneficial or detrimental do you think that that can be to you know someone assimilating or or, or getting by at least in that country what do you think mm. i think it, it can be it can be quite a positive thing at the beginning so if you arrive in a new place and you don't know anyone i think it's kind of the low-hanging fruit is to find other people who are also in your situation from your own country or culture so I think it can be very, very positive and it can make you feel a bit more settled and a bit more at home in your new place. But uh, I, I have um, kind of experienced that it's it's not everything. You know, you want to find people who share your interests, people who are on the same level as you. So let's say, you know, if you want to meet people who have got a lot of ambition, and maybe they're business people, they're running their own business. And I, I like to be around people who are like that because I've, I'm an ambitious person. And uh, whether that person is from England or Portugal, Poland, or anywhere else, it doesn't really matter to me if, if we communicate well and we've got shared interests. It's much more valuable than just being a random person from your home country. So uh, I've got a very big mixture of friends here in Poland. I've got some Polish friends. I've got some Ukrainian friends because there's lots and lots of Ukrainians here uh, since this uh, war started in Ukraine. Um, and I've got a few a few friends who are native speakers, one Australian friend. Uh, actually, here I don't have any British friends. <laughs> Do you find a lot of cultural differences with your Aussie friend or? I would say if I had to say one culture that was the most similar to British cultures, english culture probably is going to be australians yeah They're super similar you know they they like to make silly jokes all the time uh they like to drink a little bit too much beer and <laughs> uh you know generally they're pretty fun people um so i when i meet australians they're always they're always good fun so yeah. to be honest i don't really notice many differences in our in our culture of course there's a few language differences occasionally i'll use some slang and it means something different in australia had this recently uh your shout was the expression so my friend said your shout and uh, he meant is your round you know it's uh -huh. your by the beers but in england your shout it means it's your decision you have to make a choice ah wow <laughs> and in the states we don't even use this phrase at all no your, your shout i think shout. people would be really confused okay yeah <laughs> It's this is the stuff that I tell students who ask about these questions. Like, can you understand? Can Americans and British English speakers can they understand each other? And I'm like, yeah, we understand each other. But when people use slang, slang is regional. Slang's different. And mm. yeah, another one is like, um, if you say that somebody's pissed, he's pissed. Mm -hmm. This one is is different because in American English, that just means that he's really angry. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and you, you, I guess you know what it means in uh, in Britain. I have I, I have an idea, but I'll let you clarify. <laughs> yeah, if you're pissed in England, or I think generally in the UK, it means you're really drunk. 
Yeah. <laughs> and I think in Australia, they say the same, if I'm not mistaken. I think so. I mean, I, I think in, in some ways, British people can understand American slang more easily because of the, you know, the film industry, American TV shows and music. And uh, I think probably there's, a, I mean, that Americans really enjoy British television and films and music as well. But uh, I think probably we have a greater amount of it. So we get to hear more of the slang from, from the USA. So yeah. I, I would understand if, if you said I'm pissed, I'd probably, you know, I'd take a, a quick little cog turn in my mind and I'd know, okay, me is angry. <laughs> the funniest situation was when I was teaching, it was like my first year or even first like two months of teaching in Russia. And this British English woman, real nice, real attractive blonde woman, she was teaching in the room next door. I'm in the middle of teaching the lesson and I hear this knock on the door. I'm like, okay, come in. And the teacher comes in. She's like, excuse me, Chris, do you have a rubber? <laughs> and, and I had like, okay. my thing, I was just like, what? And then, and then like you just said, like the, the gears start turning and I'm like, oh, British English. Yes. Because <laughs> for us, we always call it an, an eraser. Yeah. And, uh, and a rubber is something that people use for safe sex. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it, it 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 took the cogs to turn a little bit in my mind when you when you said about rub. I was like, uh, oh yeah, I can see the I see the mistake. <laughs> <but> yeah, <laughs> that was a funny situation. And then I got to explain it to the students. So teachable moment. <laughs> a teachable moment, exactly. Yeah. Awesome. So, um, what do you think are some of the cultural elements of speaking a language? You know, a lot of times when a person is learning a language, especially people who have like an upper intermediate advanced, even proficiency level English, sometimes they've kind of missed the boat on learning how culture and language work together. Mm -hmm. And so they'll say things that might be okay in their language, but it kind of sounds rude or it sounds like, or maybe they're, you know, taking high level words and trying to force them into simple sentences. I had one guy, instead of telling me that he was sick or that he was ill, he told me that he has a malaise. <laughs> and, and so when I corrected him, he's like, but that word means that, right? Yes, it means that, but it's not like, when are you going to use that? <laughs> so um, what do you think? What are some of the cultural elements of speaking a language that people might miss? Well, there's, <clears throat> there's definitely a, a lot of things that are like that. The, for example, levels of politeness. Um, I remember when I was when I was in England, I had a, a customer who was an older woman from the Czech Republic, and she would always call me Mr. Matt. <laughs> <laughs> so she could call me Miss, she could call me Matt or Mr. Tate, but to call me Mr. Matt. It sounded a bit uh, a bit strange to me. I didn't really understand why she called me that. But then I understood that that's what they do in the Czech Republic. They use your first name with the title. So a few things like that. And, and uh, back to sort of levels of politeness, I think um, in, in a lot of languages, they have a bigger distinction between formal and informal. So I think that in the past, British and American English probably used to have a a lot more usage of formal language when you're talking to someone older than you, someone that you don't know. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> but of course, we don't do that anymore. And uh, I, I have had some students who have told me things. I should, I should say it like this, shouldn't I? And I think, oh, you must have been reading a, a grammar book from the 1930s or <laughs> you know, something like that. Yeah. What, one that always comes up for me that makes me feel weird is when students just call me teacher. Mm -hmm. Teacher. Excuse me, teacher. Mm -hmm. Hey, teacher, I have a question. And I'm always like, just call me Chris. <laughs> just call me Chris. They're, they're like, oh, but I'm being respectful because you're my teacher. And I'm like, but don't call me teacher or Mr. Teacher or something. Call me Chris. Yeah. You, did, did you did you feel tempted to say actually you should bow when you 
when you address me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sensei. Yeah. So that that's true. That can be that can be tricky. You know, something that just came like just off the top of my head, it just came up. I was just thinking about it. Um, but I've thought about this before, which is funny. The word madam. Do you ever use the word madam? Very rare, I would say. Yeah, very rare. And what about ma'am? I think that's much more common in American English. Yeah. I think we don't say ma'am, but we might say mom. Yeah. But the, the only situation where I've heard that is after you meet the queen. <laughs> <laughs> you meet the queen and you, and you say your royal, your royal majesty and you bow. And then after you've addressed her once by her formal title, you should just say mom. But otherwise, I think it's totally unused. And to clarify, this mom is different than the mom that someone might use to call their mother. Yes. Right? Because in British English, this is mum. Mum. Yeah, exactly. So we would say mum or could say mummy if you're uh -huh. a child. Uh, and then in America, I think mom and occasionally mom. mommy. Yeah. Mom. Yeah. Yeah. So mom and mum. Arm, arm. That's the different sound. But yeah, it's, it's just it's really not used. Yeah, because it's so strange to me that, for example, nobody says madam, but in the States, everybody says ma'am, which is just mm -hmm. madam with the D replaced by an apostrophe. So it's really yeah. so, so, you know, language is so weird sometimes where you keep using some some form of something that was from the past and then you drop the the original one and um it can be real tricky and then that, that can be really tricky when you're learning foreign languages it's not just about english uh like you said a lot of other languages have kind of clearer distinctions be between formal and informal speech or addressing someone and like sure like we can say sir or ma'am in the united states what do you usually say to address a woman politely I, I was wondering if that might come up because honestly, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, if I really, if I, if I wanted, for example, to address a man in London who was very formally dressed, was maybe eighty years old, I might not say, "Excuse me, can you give me directions?" I might say, "Excuse me, sir, could right. you give me directions?" But honestly, if it was a, a woman in a similar position, an older woman, very formally dressed, something like that. It would feel unnatural for me to say madam or ma'am or something like that. So I think I would be forced just to speak to her like I would anybody else. Just excuse me, could you give me directions? That's interesting. Yeah. So it, it seems like sir is a bit more used than the female equivalent, which is quite strange. That's so interesting. And in the in the States, a lot of times we'll use sir and ma'am to address someone in a formal situation when we don't know their name to get their attention so mm -hmm. like at a restaurant uh mm -hmm. a waiter or waitress a server mm -hmm. they would uh you know someone forgot their their wallet or their bag or something and they'd say excuse me ma'am excuse me sir it's interesting and then i mean we we have miss and misses but it would be really strange like i can accept someone saying excuse me miss but it would be really strange if someone said excuse me missus Mm, yeah right i don't Definitely. know how you feel about that yeah i, I completely agree <clears throat> um miss it would even sound a bit strange to me but not a stranger saying excuse me missus it almost sounds a bit rude to me excuse yeah me, <laughs> i don't know why it's Mrs. not logical mrs someone mrs yeah yeah like who yeah. mrs i guess it's because mrs usually precedes uh the last name it, i guess yeah. it would be similarly awkward if someone said excuse me mister yes right because exactly. it's usually followed by the last name and when we don't use the last name with it then it sounds like like some random person right yeah and what, what about master <laughs> so we would never we would never I, I mean it depends maybe in sports maybe if it were like your judo master or so, you mm -hmm. know what i mean yeah but um if someone said that to me in 
<laughs> a, normal a normal situation in life, I would just laugh probably. Yeah. Did you have this though in uh, in in America where you know a, an unmarried woman would be the official title would be Miss, yeah, and an unmarried man would be Master. Oh no, you haven't come across that. No, no. Okay, so I, I'm not sure if there's an age restriction for referring to someone as Master, but so certainly before I was 18, um, my title would officially be Master. And it doesn't mean that I'm I'm so great at something. I'm a judo master. It's just like Mister, Mrs., Miss for a young, an unmarried or younger girl or master. That's so interesting. So I'm I'm learning English right now. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's so cool. I didn't yeah. know that. I'm trying to imagine what people's reaction would be here. I'm going to try that today when I when I go out in public today. I'm going to just call someone uh, master master <laughs> yeah that could be fun yes yeah, so something else that's similar to that i guess which is still related to formalness or politeness um my i remember this very funny situation i was hiking hiking to the top of the highest mountain in ukraine at the time with my ex-girlfriend who is ukrainian and she said to me at some point give me banana <laughs> <laughs> Not like, please, may I have a banana or could I have a banana or could you give me a banana, please? Just give me banana. Uh -huh. <laughs> and I laughed so hard because it sounded so funny. And she said that that was just a direct translation from Ukrainian. If you want something, yeah. say, give me that. Absolutely. Yeah. In 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 Russian, the same, like living mm -hmm. there for years, I had to adjust. Honestly, man, I had to adjust when I came back to the States because I had culture shock yeah. because I was used to being very direct. I just like internalized all those qualities to survive over there. And then when I came back, I was being like way too direct. And a lot of my friends <laughs> and family members would be like, yeah, you're kind of rude to people. It's kind of, you know. <laughs> so yeah. And over there, it was absolutely fine. It would, it would sound strange the other way to add in the pleases mm -hmm. and the thank yous every step of the way. Yeah. Really strange for them. Yeah. Well, would it sound too polite, like obsequious? Yeah. Like yeah. And then especially um, like, in in some public situation like again at the rest at a restaurant right so uh like it's acceptable there like you're a very polite person okay but when you talk to your friends when you talk to your family member when you talk to the people who you see every day you drop that stuff like really really fast and mm -hmm. it you know you dinner with the family or or wife's family girlfriend's friend with your friends it's gonna be give me that it's going to be, yeah, it's, yeah. I think it's a really cool topic for us to analyze because, uh, in my opinion, like the difficulty for me as an English speaker learning Russian was surrounding this topic of uh, formality and, and politeness was, um, first of all, you know, am I being too rude by, by copying that directness in, in communication. Yeah. That, that was one question. And then, you know, um, the other thing that really struck me was you don't really think about it in your first language, but when you see it in other languages, you start to understand it, that those formalities are like a, a barrier, a social barrier, and they're meant to, to define that you are not at the same level with the other person. And so English has kind of morphed into this very informal, constantly informal, almost in, in almost every situation um, type of language. And so what you see is that a lot of those lines are like blurred and you might be in a situation with someone who's older than you or in a situation with someone who's your teacher or your boss, and you might speak to them very informally in English, whereas in another language, it would be really important to show that boundary all the mm -hmm. time. Um, and so sometimes it's hard for me to connect in a language where I have to speak to the person with words, with with respectful words, and they don't have to speak back to me the same way. So like, mm -hmm. 
it makes it there's an extra challenge there yeah us because we're not used to that i think yeah did you think it's a bit strange that english as a language is so informal now yet also very indirect because yeah. it, it almost makes sense if you're going to be informal you may as well be direct right i i prefer being direct but um <laughs> Me too. but yeah i i see that yeah a lot of times when i'm speaking to someone it's like this windy road to get to the end of the sentence and i'm just sitting there waiting waiting okay okay you said all the polite words i get it you're polite <laughs> yeah I, I remember being here on my first trip in poland and i was with my friend and uh he didn't seem quite as cognizant of people's level of understanding of his english as i was and he would talk a great length to just ask something basic he would say you know in a very typical stereotype british way uh, would you mind awfully if i could possibly do this if it didn't trouble you <laughs> and they would be like what <laughs> they, they were totally lost and all he really wanted was like give me that <laughs> give me the soul you know something like that yeah I think in some of the English textbooks, there's the funny picture of like the guys in the river drowning and he's he needs help from the guy with the life preserver. And he um, and it's like the correct way, the incorrect way. And the guy's like, help, help, help. And the guy keeps walking incorrect way, correct way. Excuse me, if it's not too trouble, if you could take one moment, would you possibly be able? <laughs> yeah. And then the guy helps him. Um, <laughs> what do you think are some uh, common stereotypes or misconceptions about English people that you've encountered while living abroad? Mm, I think probably the most the most common one would be uh, British people are always very polite, that we're quite formal, um, very uh, self-controlled. Um, disciplined basically it's a lot of positive things that aren't true <laughs> <laughs> mostly so um you know there's this this idea that you see in uh i don't know let's say uh some popular tv show like downton abbey you know everyone is very prim and proper they always say please and thank you and uh they're very sophisticated but not all british people are like that or, or if you want to see if you want to see the other side of British people, all you need to do is go on holiday to one of these Spanish resorts or Ibiza, and you'll see us getting drunk out of our minds and uh, swearing and uh, having fights all the time. British people love fighting. We'll fight over nothing. We'll fight anyone for no reason. When I first came to Poland, I, I was in uh, an Uber and I had a Spanish Uber driver. And he took us on a kind of a, a, an unexpected guided tour. He just said, you see this street here, never go there. They're, they're, they, they hate foreigners. They'll, they'll beat you up and never go there. They're really racist. They hate foreigners in there. And uh, me and my friend, we went to all of these places. Everyone was super friendly. Couldn't have been nicer. No problem with anyone. I've never had any problem with any Polish guy or anything like that ever. But after our trip, we went back to England. We went to a nightclub. Within five minutes, someone's tried to start a fight with us <laughs> for, nothing. for nothing. Just, you know, we walked past him and slightly touched his arm, something like that. British people are strangely aggressive. And I think people don't expect that. That's that's funny. My experience with British people has been, I think you're right on. I think <laughs> spot on right yeah. there. So like this expectation of uh i don't know some sophistication or something because everyone sees the the queen and all of these mm -hmm. things um but yeah i found them to be just the same as ever like i think americans are very similar um in a lot of ways where everything lo they look so polite and nice and saying all these nice things but a, a lot of it's so fake and a lot of it is just like backhanded uh you know sneaky way mm -hmm. to you know what i mean so yeah but i i think that uh in every country you probably can find people who fit you know one description or another but yeah. since 
that you brought up that the that the positive stereotypes are the ones that you feel are not correct um yeah we've got very good pr in england <laughs> you know we're, we're downton abbey we're the royal family maybe we've got the you know bit of cool from peaky blinders you know like you know fashion style and this kind of stuff and there's a lot of truth in all of those things all of those things exist but um because britain has so much history there is of course a lot of historical dramas and tv shows and films that are related to uh, a more formal and more polite history and a romanticized version of history so yeah the reality is often a bit different and um, actually, I had a, an interesting experience with polls because I remember back in 2004 when uh, Poland joined the European Union and it was like overnight, just a million Polish people in England. So suddenly in some towns you walk down the street and you just hear Polish everywhere and it's like suddenly you've been transported to another country. And honestly, the opinion that I formed of the polls was terrible. They were ignorant, uneducated, often looked really weird, and they did the worst jobs and they didn't do a good job. And often you'd see them drinking in the streets, getting really drunk, swearing and stuff like that. And so I had a very bad opinion of the polls. So I'm a bit surprised actually that I was so keen to come here for a, for a holiday. But when I came here, I realized that the group of people who came to England were not representative of the Polish people. So when I came here, I found that Polish people were, to be honest, if anything, more highly educated than English people. And I, I stand by that now. I find people here incredibly well-educated, very polite, very friendly, and uh, very nice looking as well, especially the ladies. So, <laughs> you know, it shows you that you can see a, a little cross-section of, of a group and it doesn't give you the, the right impression. In the same way, I'm sure that in these Spanish holiday resorts where, you know, the, the most troublesome, uh, you know, fighty British people go to get drunk and uh, and have a holiday, they probably form a terrible opinion of British people based on that. But hopefully it isn't completely true. <laughs> <laughs> and and you're single, right? Single, yeah. Uh-huh. So ladies, the link ladies. is on the video, the yeah. description. <laughs> Yeah, link in description. Awesome. So I have one last very random question. Mm -hmm. If you could have a super intelligent animal sidekick, which animal would you choose? <laughs> a super intelligent animal sidekick. Wow. Never been asked that question before. Uh, I think uh, my first reaction is something like a parrot. Parrot, okay. Yeah, because a parrot could just sit on my shoulder and keep an eye, you know, watch watch out for things for me, whisper things in my ear that would be useful. <laughs> Maybe if I'm teaching a lesson and someone asks me a difficult grammar question I don't know the answer to, then the parrot can just tell me in, in my ear. <laughs> yeah, and it makes, like when you're doing the pronunciation exercises and you're trying to get the person to repeat after you and they just don't want to repeat, the parrot just repeats for you. Yeah, that would be handy. Yeah, I think that'd be really useful. Awesome. Actually, I, I really enjoy teaching uh, pronunciation. Um, I guess because I'm I'm a, a trained singer, so I had classical singing training and classical piano training. So I have a, a good ear, and uh, I really like it when the students really want to pronounce things nicely. You know, I've I've met some people here in Poland, and their level of English is super high. But a bit like you said earlier, sometimes you can get super high and you have not taken account of something along the way. And uh, I often find that people get to quite an advanced level, but the pronunciation is still, it, it either sounds bad to us or even it's not completely clear. So um, I would definitely like to, to teach more pronunciation. Unfortunately, most of the students I've got, they only really want to learn English because they're talking to other non-native English speakers. And so pronunciation is a, a bit lower down on the uh, priority list. Mm -hmm. What's the funniest thing that a student has ever said in your in your class? Um, you, I'm, I, one thing comes to mind for me, I was in a class where um, the question from the book was, what's your most treasured possession? And the girl said, oh, what does treasured mean? I'm like, well, it's like your like your favorite. And 
What's a possession? It's a thing that you have. Okay. So she says, my favorite position is, and everyone starts laughing. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm trying to remember. I've, I've had a, a couple of situations that were very, very funny. I'm struggling to remember one that I remember laughing a lot about, but I don't remember what was said. But I do remember I was doing phrasal verbs with one girl and it was something like um, something, a phrasal verb with get. And it was something like she said something that sounded like I want to get you off. <laughs> <laughs> something like that, which kind of means like I want to please you sexually. Yeah. And uh, I don't remember what it should have been, but maybe just a different a different phrasal verb we'd get. But that was quite funny. The phrasal verbs are, are pretty tricky. They are. Yeah. And really then are. when you get into slang and everything, it's just it's all phrasal verbs. Just yeah. any any curse word can be all kinds of different phrasal verbs and have different meanings. And mm. a lot of people, um, some other people from other languages, they think that English doesn't have lots of curse words, but mm they don't really understand usually the people who are saying that how versatile they they really are and um <laughs> phrasal verbs can be really tricky yeah definitely awesome man well thank you so much for taking the time to uh to come here and have this talk tell everybody how they can find you people can find me under my name on uh, facebook matt tate m-a-t-t -T, surname tate t-a-i-t uh, also, I have a website, um, jump-up-english.pl. Awesome. And I'll put all those links in the description under the video so Super. everyone can click and go check you out. That's great. Awesome, man. Well, thank you so much. Nice to speak to you, Chris. Yeah, it's been good fun. Thank you for tuning in to English World with Chris Americos. Now it's your turn. Don't just listen to English, speak English with us every day. Join our English Everyday Speaking Program today. See you in the next episode. Bye-bye.